Good morning. Glad to see you all here. Good to be with you this morning. Uh, You can turn to page 7 to find uh, our passage this morning from John chapter 9. And I want to say at at the outset that I've borrowed the uh, thought, the approach that I found in reading this book, Love Walked Among Us by Paul Miller, Learning to Love Like Jesus. And he has a chapter uh, that has a a similar title, uh, I think, that judging blocks compassion. So I'm, I'm following his approach uh, in this. And a word about the outline that you see on page 10. Uh, just disregard that. Okay, now, uh, ba- basically, though, it's going to be more like this. We're going to talk about the disciples. Then we're going to contrast that with Jesus. And then we're going to see how we can pursue uh, compassion. And then we'll talk about how it affected the blind man perhaps and then do that same thing Jesus and us and then we're going to bring the Pharisees in at the end so we're starting with confusion and we're going from there good let's read though uh, John chapter 9 I'm going to read the beginning uh, of this passage and the end and summarize some in the middle just because of of time As he, that is Christ, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The next paragraph has his neighbors seeing him and wondering if this the man. He says, no, I'm the man. And the neighbors then take him to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are concerned that he healed on the Sabbath and they're split. Well, if he healed on the Sabbath, he's not of God. We know that much. But then others are like, well, but he did heal someone. How could a sinner do that? And so the They uh, call the parents and bring them in. Is this your son? Yes, this is our son. How did this happen? They're like, we don't want to get involved. right? (laughs) They don't want to get thrown out of the synagogue. So they kind of distanced themselves and said, hey, talk to our son. He's of age. He he can tell you about it. Which brings us then to verse 24. For the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already. And he had described it to them in the first meeting and you would not listen. Then he gets kind of sarcastic and catty here. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, 
you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us. And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, they, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him. It is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment, I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Is that what you're saying about us? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, give us grace to see Jesus. Lord, we know by nature we all are blind. And only Christ can open our eyes Only you, Lord God, can shine in our hearts and show us continually the beauty and glory of Jesus. Uh, Lord, we pray that we would uh, embrace you all the more and and, and entrust our lives to you, that we might glorify the goodness and greatness of our Savior Jesus. Amen. So, right off the bat, we have the disciples judging the blind man. Immediately, they want to fit him in a category. It's either him, he's the sinner, or the parents, they're the sinners. Uh, This is so much like us, you know. You meet somebody, you, you judge them, you put them in a category, you draw a conclusion right away about them. You want to give them a grade, you want to place them in a certain league, give them a certain rank, a certain number, a certain value. We say we pigeonhole people, right? And there used to be little holes where, you know, carrier pigeons would be put. That's a pigeonhole, right? So we want to put people in those pigeonholes. Um, Or we even call those little boxes. You put a letter, this, and then people can pull it out on the other side. That's a pigeonhole. But we love to stick people in these holes rather than regard each person as unique and gloriously made in the image of God and having value as the image of God. We love to analyze people, make a certain connection in our mind and draw sometimes quick conclusions and sometimes they tend to be permanent conclusions. You know, we think a certain thing and that kind of fixes our mind in a certain direction toward a person. We hand down a verdict. And in so doing, we dehumanize people. 
We do this so many reasons. It, judging keeps our distance from people. It, it, it's kind of a self-protective act in some ways. In some ways, it's a controlling act to make sense of people, to keep my life tidy and neat and uh, safe. It keeps people at bay so that I don't have to give my time and my commitment and my affections. I could just put them in a category. That's what the disciples were going to do, right? We, we, we know what the deal is. We've made our analysis. Let's move on. And they talk about it right in front of him. Can you imagine? It's like the movie The Help, where the ladies serving hear the ladies being served talk about them right in front of them. My mother, who was born in West Texas near Lubbock, Roaring Springs, if you know that little bitty town. She was then brought to Alabama. She met my dad in the military. They uh, went to, ended up in Alabama. And she married, he became a doctor. She was at the country club. And she said, I was shocked that that's exactly what happened at the country club. The ladies that were serving were talked about by the ladies Servant who were served. Now we're most of us are not like that. We're too chicken, right? We do our talking about people in private, you know, or in a in a kind of uh, online way, which is more of an anonymous way. We don't know who this is out there, but I'm firing away at them. I'm making judgments about you, right? <clears throat> and. It's kind of like uh, what Brian Regan says, the com- comedian. He talks about seeing in these old magazines this little cartoon that has the giant ear, the, the, the strong ear that you can use and you can hear conversations that you normally couldn't hear. And so she's tuning into these uh, ladies and she's walking along and the ladies are saying, wow, look at her. She's so pretty. And Regan says, yeah. Yeah, that's what they're saying. <laughs> that's why people whisper behind your back to compliment you, right? <laughs> but that's what we, we tend to do. We make in our... And so we can be separated from one another and not even talking to each other, but we're making judgments of one another. But Jesus moves toward the man. He treats him like a real human being and he moves toward him. Paul Miller says this, Jesus lowers himself in order to care. The disciples elevate themselves in order to judge. That's the difference. And we all have to ask, what am I doing? I have to ask, what is me in this? And how different is this from the passage we dealt with last week, Philippians 2, where we count one another as more important than ourselves? Judging makes you less important than me. And when we're in isolation and have been in isolation and we're communicating through social media uh, and we're distancing uh, ourselves from each other, uh, we can make sweeping statements about one another on both sides. I don't care what side of any issue you're on. We do it to each other all the time. And we can be ridiculing a, a position or a thought that somebody has that's a brother or sister in Christ. Or we make sweeping statements 
Everybody who, like the sticker I saw about a particular uh, political party, all of these people are insane. (laughs) So there you go. I've divided America into two parts. They're the sane people and the insane people. (laughs) That's pretty sweeping. But we do it bigger and lesser ways. Putting everybody into a category to know where I stand and where they stand. And what we need is a discussion with someone, right? A conversation with a particular person to know who is this person? What do you love? What's your personality? What are your hopes and dreams? What are your relationships? And not only then can we do this, say, by, let's say, an example of a posting, but then the people who read the post start the judgment back. They draw conclusions about the person, right? Oh, this person must be this, this, and this. And, and, and did you uh, hear what he or she posted? What? So we're judging back and forth uh, in a situation like this instead of talking to each other. We have all kind of categories, all kind of pigeonholes. It's interesting that Jesus, for instance, he didn't judge the blind man, but then he didn't turn around and dismiss the disciples either. I would have loved to dismiss the disciples at that point. And my pride and self-righteousness, oh, I wouldn't have thought that about the blind man. I can't believe they're so cold, hard-hearted, you know. So... You know, I'd, I'd pride myself in not being a person who would make such judgments, all the while judging them. So Jesus here simply answers and teaches them, helps them along. No, it's not that either of them sinned. It's so that God's works could be done in this man. So we all have a tendency Uh, You can have a tendency toward the poor. You can have a tendency toward the rich. You can have a tendency toward the educated or the uneducated. You have all these categories, ways that we judge one another and elevate ourselves to judge instead of lowering ourselves to care and move toward one another. So that if there's some kind of exchange, we then call and then we talk and then we share, we listen to one another and then we laugh with one another and we pray with one another instead of distancing ourselves from one another through judgment. And Jesus says that this opportunity is here so that we can work the works of the one who sent me. Jesus came to do the works of his father. He said, I don't make a move except what I see in my father. That's a way to say, I am my father on earth, basically, because I do everything he would do. I'm just like him. You see me, you see him. You know me, you know him. And I'm here, we're all here to work the works of the one who sent me. And so how did God do? He entered the world through Christ Jesus. He came, he sought, he pursued, he gave himself. He manifested the light of a God who has that kind of care, even for sinners. So he is the light, the revelation of this glorious God who sacrifices himself for sinners. 
And here, God made the move. Jesus said in John 17, I didn't come to judge the world. I came to uh, deliver, to, to rescue the world, to move toward, to reach out, to reach and draw near. So Jesus saw this man. We must always see one another, see, know one another. Pursue one another. It's interesting in Matthew 9 when it says Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion on the crowds. It says because they were harassed and helpless. But you know what? They weren't sinless. There were haughty people in that crowd. There were mean people in that crowd. There were angry people in that crowd. There were controlling people in that crowd. There were nagging people in that crowd. There was every kind of person in that crowd and every kind of look of that crowd, every kind of different place in society in that crowd. It's a crowd. He had compassion on them all. And that's what we're called to do. Rather than categorizing one another pigeonholing one another, but to treat one another as the glorious image of God that we are by his, uh, by his creation. Instead of categorizing, we're giving compassion to one another. And it, it goes so far beyond just what we think of compassion. He shed his blood for every kind of person in the world. Rich and poor, cultured and uncultured, educated, uneducated. You just name your spectrum. He shed his blood. He gave himself for every kind of human being. And he gives us his spirit so that we might manifest that same compassion. Beginning with one another. Uh, you're in the front of your bulletin. You may not have read it yet, but there's this uh, quote by Amy Carmichael. <clears throat> I'd have you, you can turn there and read it with me. She says, we are trusted, entrusted, I would say, to spread the spirit of love. Tenderness in judgment, the habit of thinking the best of one another, unwillingness to believe evil, grief if we're forced to do so, Eagerness to believe good, joy over one recovered from any slip or fall, unselfish gladness in another's joys, sorrow in another's sorrow, readiness to do anything to help another entirely irrespective of self. All this and much more is included in that wonderful word, love. So the disciples judging Separating, distancing themselves, dismissing him, dehumanizing him, Jesus moving toward him. How in the world did the blind man feel hearing them talk about him this way? What did he feel to hear? This is wrong. This is just wrong. Something bad happened here. Sin reared up its its head and look what came out, this blind man. That's basically what they're saying. You're like this sore on humanity. Oh, too bad. How did this happen? Something really went wrong here. 
And they're just wanting Jesus to help them categorize. Which one? You think it's this or, you know. What a question to ask Jesus. Which category can we put him in? So that they could just move on then and be more satisfied, more self-righteous, better grasp on things. But what a surprise for the blind man to hear Jesus say, oh, no, no. This is a place of supreme value. This is a place for the work of God to happen. This is a place for light to break forth. So he didn't see it's not a, a judgment and a categorizing, but seeing the possibility of what God could bring about. Miller says the man's darkness is a door to God's light. And I would say of us, brothers and sisters, that our darkness, if you want to call the difficulty of COVID, the Conflict and isolation, maybe even some of us has felt the strains of that, uh, the strain of that isolation and the, the cracks uh, of division, or at least we feel like that. But I would urge you that this is the work of God. This is so that God can work in us and bring his light into our lives. That's always what he's about. Paul Miller gives a, a wonderful example in his book, and I'm just going to read it to you. And it has to do with their daughter, Kim. His wife is named Jill. Kim is the daughter. And when she was pregnant with Kim, she prayed that prayer from Psalm 121, you know, that begins, uh, Whence cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord who made heaven's heaven and earth. And in verse seven, it says, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will keep your life. And this became a a prayer of hers for uh, Kim. But then when she was born, he said, God gave us a harmed daughter. She had mental uh, speaking issues. And He said, we didn't understand why thinking about that promise made Jill feel even worse. It just hurt to hope. If I pray that no harm and look, she's harmed for life. When God gave us Kim, he gave us something we love very much, but we couldn't control. In his book on prayer, he talks about her banging the uh, table at a restaurant. (laughs) The waitress jumping and everything flying off the table uh, sounded familiar to us. But um, he said, she constantly drained our reserves. Jill and I are naturally quick, confident, and judgmental. Once, before Kim was born, Jill was washing the car in our driveway and our neighbor passed by on the sidewalk. A young mother herself, she said to Jill, I don't know how you have the strength to do everything you do. Jill replied, if you're organized, you can get a lot done. You should try it. Whoa. (laughs) Then he gives an example of himself. Years ago, I was in downtown Philadelphia with a friend and a street person passed us. He slurred out something incomprehensible to me, and I dismissed him. As we were walking away, my friend asked me, why did 
you talk to him like that? He just wanted to know where the soup kitchen was. I smile at the work of God displayed in our lives, at God's sense of humor. Jill and I have spent countless hours with Kim doing speech therapy, helping her articulate her slurred words. I've spent hundreds of hours programming Kim's speech computer, which she is very proficient at. Jill no longer has time to be organized. When I ask her where some money has gone, she smiles at me and says, I don't know. (laughs) She's sworn off being organized. She just can't do it anymore. And then he says this. God gave us Kim to keep us from all harm. To keep us from being so self-righteous and together. He used Kim to bring us to the end of ourselves. To teach us about love. And teach us about himself. Our lives no longer worked. We had to learn how to live from the bottom up. Like the blind man. We found glory in a most unexpected place. And brothers and sisters... What's happening to us, what has happened to us with COVID, isolation, division of opinion that runs rampant through our society and can infect the church. Why would God allow this to happen? To keep us from all harm, right? To keep us from all harm, to get rid of the ugly sin that remains in our life. It's a way to discover this. I didn't realize I could react like that to someone. I didn't realize I could be dismissive to someone like that. It's to work love within our fellowship. To bring us more and more into his precious image. That verse goes on. He will keep you from all harm. He will keep your life. He will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. He will always be keeping you. And really, it's what we prayed earlier. Deliver us from the evil one. That's the evil that he will keep you from. He will make you more and more like Christ. He will more and more get rid of sin in your life. And you've heard us say it before, but the good that's promised in Romans eight twenty eight that all things will work together for good. It doesn't mean all things will work together for your comfort. All things will work together so you'll never have pain or sickness or death or loss. It doesn't promise that. It promises good. And in the context, it's conformity to Jesus Christ. That's the good he promises. That's the harm he delivers us from. The harm of being unlike God and being made more and more like him, more and more like this Christ who loves. And when we pray, deliver us from the evil one, part of his means to do this is suffering and loss and difficulty and conflict. Don't waste your suffering. Don't waste your COVID like Piper in his book, Don't Waste Your Cancer. Don't waste a conflict. How can God bring light into this struggle I'm having, this darkness I'm having? 
you know, we're called to be peacemakers. We're blessed are the peacemakers. But people who judge one another, they don't make peace with each other. They don't pursue peace with each other. Our blessedness, our happiness is in creating peace with one another. And so Paul can pray in Colossians 3, let the peace of Christ rule, in its plural, y'all's life. <laughs> Together as a congregation. Let, let the happiness and the thrill and the amazement, the astonishment, the awe that you're forgiven by Christ, all your sins are taken away. You belong to God. You have fellowship with him. You have an inheritance. Let that happiness, that peace flood your lives so that you will be, have resources to give yourself away to each other and to bear with each other and be patient with each other. And then, of course, the Pharisees really ramp it up. They judge Jesus. Here's what we know about you. You're not from God. You're a sinner and you're a nobody. We don't even know where you came from. You're not from God. You're a sinner. You're a nobody. Kind of had it wrong on all three. Um, Pretty severe. And then they say of the blind man, when he rightly corrects them and rightly calls them uh, to truth, uh, he says, you were born in utter sin. That means you were completely in sin. You were inundated with sin. Or as NIV says it, you were born steeped in sin. And what struck me in this is I can be, I can be that severe, that dismissive, condemning someone before I even know who they are. Condemnation. That's what judgment is. It's a way to con, uh, condemn someone from the outset. Let's start here. You said so-and-so, let me condemn you, and now we'll move forward. It's a way to demonize one another, globalize a a problem, an issue. And this brings to mind what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, love is not arrogant. The word means, as you may know, puffed up. Does it exalt itself? You know, there's a pedestal and I'm the one that's going to be on it. None of you will be, or especially you, you know, I will be the pedestal person puffed up, arrogant. I like myself on the pedestal. Again, how different is this than Paul's words in Philippians two that we dealt with last week? Consider one another more important than yourself. Judging one another puffs ourselves up. And dehumanizes one another. So, by God's grace, we <clears throat> cannot fall into the same condemnation of these Pharisees. You see these last words where Jesus says, <clears throat> Those who think, basically, he said, those who think they see and they don't need anything, they will be blind. Those who recognize that they're blind, They're the ones that will see. And of course, I I think the Pharisees are like, why are you calling us blind? That's their kind of reaction to this. He says, your guilt remains. 
And this brings to mind this precious prayer from Just As I Am. And if you're like, well, thankfully there's new music. I I was kind of inoculated against it with the old music uh, personally, but that's just me. But here's here's this this, uh, verse. Just as I am, poor, wretched, blind. Sight, riches, healing of the mind. Yes, all I need in thee to find. O Lamb of God, I come. And I would say, let's all admit I am blind. I am helpless. I am poor. I am wretched. Oh, but in Jesus, I find all forgiveness. In Jesus, I find complete renewal. All the treasures, all the riches I need, I find in you. Let's cling to him and cling to one another in Christ. Let us pray. Lord, we praise you that you have revealed God to us to show us who God is. We praise you for coming to reveal him. And Lord, for calling us to this nobility, this nobility of your humility Uh, The strength of your humility of learning to count one another as more important than ourselves. Oh, Lord, bless us, equip us, change us, renew us. By your grace, we pray. Amen.